Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 18. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, we have a gift for you. Um, we have Bibles here on these tables around the auditorium in the back. And uh, feel free to grab one of those. Um, my encouragement to us is to have a physical Bible. It's so easy to have a uh, digital Bible these days. Um, but I think there's something to be said about having physical paper, being able to highlight, being able to remember where certain scriptures are as you open them. And so um, my encouragement to those who regularly come on Sundays is bring your physical Bible with you. It's really uh, helpful to have. Um, so we're going to look at the same scripture this morning. So let's just read it again, Luke chapter 18. And the, uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Just two little verses this morning, but so full of truth. It'll be up on the screen. This is what the word of the Lord says. Now they, we're speaking of parents, were bringing, uh, were bringing even infants to him, speaking of Christ, that he may touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, and perk our ears up here as Anthony helped us understand, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Some pretty heavy words by Jesus this morning. Let's pray as we open our hearts to the word of God this morning. Jesus, we, we thank you for the word. We thank you that you are the word. We thank you that it's alive, that it's active. We thank you that it, it's like a mirror, that when we hold it up, it, it shows us, it reveals to us the things that need, be, need to be changed within our lives and imperfection in us. And not only does it point those things out, but it also encourages us and it empowers us. And so we come to your word this morning, Jesus, and we say, will you open our hearts, will you correct in our lives the things that, are, that we don't think correctly about you or about ourselves or about this world? And then also we ask, Jesus, will you help us this morning? Don't just point out, but Lord, we ask for your empowerment. We, we ask for your strength. We ask for your courage. We ask, um, God, just for your help to trust you, to, to, to know you the way you want us to know you, the right way. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Everybody said, amen. All right. So, uh, I don't know about you, but I am a little bit like the disciples in this story. I would actually think um, one of the worst jobs in the world would be a mall Santa Claus. I, I can, like, you'd have to, I'd have to be a billion, you'd have to pay me a billion dollars an hour to do something like that. How much are you going to, you're the best, how much, a billion dollars. Are you sure, no, a billion dollars. I mean, to be able to sit there all day, have these kids that are screaming, crying, boogers coming down their nose, all of the things, and they're like angry and smell and all of those things, and me to have to sit there and pretend like I'm enjoying this, and this benevolent deity is like so excited about putting this child on my lap. That would just be a nightmare for me, personally. But the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus is, is not like me, <laughs> and, and Jesus is so much better than a Santa Claus. He's so much better than the moment that we're hoping that our child will perfectly do a smile or at least glance at the camera for that moment and the Santa Claus will be the perfect Santa Claus. He won't have the synthetic beard. He'll have the real beard. It'll be white. Hey, you know what? Mike O'Brien's not here this year. We should make him grow his beard out. <laughs> he would be the perfect Santa Claus. All right. Side note. Okay. And Jesus, <laughs> me? Okay. I'm getting there. All right. But Jesus is so much better than a Santa Claus. Jesus is not this moment where he just kind of has an interaction with us to be only seen for the next year, and hopefully we get a, this kind of interaction with him. And what we see here is also the way that the, the disciples understand who Jesus is. 
the Pharisees who would understand the character of Jesus. And what we're going to really look at this morning is the contrast of how the children understand Jesus. And so my encouragement to you this morning is while we unpackage this portion of Scripture is to ask yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to help you say, Lord, are there things that I don't understand rightly about who you are? Do I, one, either think of you as this kind of cosmic Santa Claus who I might get this moment with you where it's gonna, I'm going to get all my wishes and dreams come true, or do I kind of think of you more of like the disciples would think of you or the Pharisees? Jesus, please help me see you rightly for who you are, okay? So if you guys can do that, because I'm asking the same question, especially as I prepared this week, there were some things in my heart, and I was sharing with my wife about how I don't rightly see Jesus for who he is. And my wife really helps encourage me in these ways, and, and I'm hoping that the same thing will happen for us this morning. Because we want to be a church that makes much of Jesus, right? We want to be a church that calls ourselves disciples of Jesus, and how we understand who Jesus is is really the most important thing about us. A.W. Tozer says this, he says, how you think of God is the most important thing about you because, see, how you think of God will determine your actions, right? If you think of God as grumpy and an ogre in heaven waiting to squish, we have all these ants in our kitchen right now because we left something sugary out, and I'm just like going around stomping on them, and I'm just angry with them, and just going to wipe them out, and some of us think of God this way. We think that God is just waiting to catch us in the act of doing something wrong so that he can show us how bad we are and smash us and make us suffer. And we might experience hard things in our lives and we say, oh, God's just punishing me. Or some of us are kind of on the other side of the pendulum where we think, man, God is just this cosmic Santa Claus. He's a genie and all I got to do is rub the lamp and then all of a sudden he comes to my bids and he does whatever I ask him to do. And if I don't ask, if he doesn't respond, then I'm not asking hard enough. I'm not asking with enough faith. And so I got to rub the lamp harder and I got to really believe it. Thankfully for Luke chapter 18, we are going to rightly see who the character is. Of Jesus is. So let's go back to this portion of scripture. And as we understand this, there's some key things that I think we need, first of all, as most of us being adults in this room, to understand. And the first one is this, and you're not, it's not going to be the first time you've heard this, but that children are a blessing. Children are a blessing. All right, so dads, moms, uncles, aunties. I want to encourage you this morning that children are not just to be tolerated. <laughs> Actually, children are created in the image of God. I read a commentary this week that the guy was saying, if I was able to be able to travel at the speed of light, even faster than the speed of light, and go to the furthest reaches of the universe and see like a creation of a star in its infancy or going to like the edges of the galaxy if you see those things in astronomy books where it seems like this this weird cloud out there and so many stars and be able to be up close to that and see these things actually happening and the wonder and the amazement and be able to go beyond that and see if the universe is actually expanding to be able to get to the edge of it and go oh my gosh this is amazing he said that it's still would not rival the creation of a baby being born. Why? Because the image of God, the value of who we are because of the image of God being poured into humanity would be so much greater than just the stuff that's created in the world. And I know as a dad, and I, I know as somebody who would hate the job of sitting little kids on my lap as having to be the Santa, I lose that sometimes, and I want to do the W.C. Fields thing. Anybody know, even know who that is, W.C. Fields? He was this guy way back in the day when, when movies back in the 30s were black and white, and he was the iconic, some of you guys grew up with the cartoon character version of him, but he'd have a cigar in his hand, and there'd be a little kid that would come up to him and go, get away, Ken, you bother me, Right? <laughs> Some of us feel like children should be seen and not heard. 
I mean, even while we were praying for these kids and doing the, the kids' sermon, there was, a, there was a baby in the back, like, going crying. You know what? I love those noises. I love it. I don't love it all the time. But you know why I love it? I love it because it says what? We're a family. We're a family. A family has what? You know what this, this room is? This isn't the sanctuary. This isn't the sanctuary. We call this room the auditorium because the sanctuary is here in our heart. Maybe, I think even maybe in a better name, we should call this place the living room. This is a living room. Why? Because this is where the family gathers. You ever be in one of those houses that has like an open, open family or open wall plan? And you go in, and it's just like you feel like the kitchen kind of melds into the living room, and the living room melds into the den, and the den melds into the, ba- not the bathroom, but like all of the, it's just all right there. And what is going on in that, in that room? Life is happening. And that's what this room is. And that's who we're called to be. And when Jesus says here in Scripture, he's pointing out to us, he says, you disciples, you grumpy Pharisees, you people who think that children are just to be tolerated until they become adults where they can really understand and reason and we can have a debate that they're just meant to be seen and not heard. He's saying, listen, you don't understand what children are. They are a blessing. I've poured my image into the moment that this conception happens, the image of God is born. Haley this morning, Haley, we said, we said, happy mama's day to Haley. And she goes, I'm not a mama yet. And we said, no, you're absolutely a mama. You got a little baby growing in that womb. That little baby growing in the womb is a full-fledged human being created in the image of God. And see, when Jesus was saying these things, he was speaking into a culture that's not very dissimilar to our culture today. There was abortion. They had a primitive form of abortion. There was abandonment. And there was abuse, just like we experience today. Did you know that this year, there will be about a million babies that will be murdered this year? A million individuals that God will pour out his image in. And that's kind of just, that's serious for most of us here this morning who understand, wow, that's a big deal. But for a society that thinks that children should just be tolerated, should be seen and not heard, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. But that happened back then. And so when Jesus saying, let these little children come to me, he was confronting this culture that said children are disposable. Abandonment. You know, in this culture, in this Roman, Gre- Roman Greco kind of culture, if you would have a, a child that was deformed or um, 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 Down syndrome or kind of any kind of deformity, handicap, often what they would do is they would leave the child in a, in a dump heap, especially girls. Especially girls because in this patriarchal kind of society, it was the boys that carried the name. It was the boys that would, you know, have value. And so especially if your daughter had any kind of deformity, what often would happen is they would leave them out in the trash to get collected. And that would obviously lead to abuse. People would take these children, raise them up to be slaves. And it's not dissimilar today. We have abortion. We have abandonment. I mean, fatherlessness is huge in this nation. Abuse happens. Talking with Brandon this morning, who has a friend who's a police officer, who deals with with, uh, human trafficking. It is rampant. And this simple act of Jesus sitting down probably and saying to the disciples, hey, quit being so like stuffy and serious. Let these little kids come up to me. I want to be like Santa Claus to these kids. I want to touch them. I want to bless them. I want to invest into these kids. Dads, moms, did you know that the, one of the most important things that you will ever do with your life is invest into your children? Your children are your first disciples. Your children are learning from you who God is. I, you know what I do sometimes? Sometimes when I'm worshiping out here, I don't feel like it. Sometimes I don't. Like there was even a moment today where I was like singing and I was thinking to myself, oh, I'm hot. It feels hot in here. 
And to be honest with you, I looked and I saw Judah to my right, and I thought to myself, I need to worship, not fakely, not, not in, like in a disingenuous way, but I'm going to worship, not because my heart needs to worship, yes, absolutely, but also my son needs to see me worshiping Jesus passionately, because he's going to learn from my actions what it means to sing to God. I learned it from my dad. My, one, of, one of the things I'm most grateful from, for from my dad is that he taught me how to passionately love Jesus. Dads, moms, that's your job. Your kids are your first disciples. The Bible says in Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5, we've all heard this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man, it should probably say, blessed is Jeff Collins, who fills his quiver with them. Blessed is the man. The Bible says that kids are like arrows in our quiver, like we're like Legolas, and we pull these things, boom, shoot them. They're blessing. They're blessed. Don't shoot your kids. Don't. That's not what I said. Um, and just if you don't have kids, and even if you do have kids, you know a real practical way to invest in children? Guess what? You single guys who are looking for a chick, <laughs> telling you girls like to like take care of the kids, you should like to take care of the kids too. Some of my best teach, and this is not to exclude women at all, please do not hear what I'm not saying, but some of the most indelible memories that I have as a child is some of my male teachers, because it was the father you know, culture was so absent when I was a kid in the, in the classrooms. And thank you, ladies, for teaching. Absolutely wonderful, beautiful. But that doesn't mean men can't teach as well. And we have a kids' ministry who needs volunteers to teach them. And when we're talking about children are a blessing and investing in our kids, this is a practical way that you can invest in children. Because these kids' lives are going to be dramatically changed by you coming in and telling them and showing them who Jesus is. Right at the welcome table, right after service, you could sign up for kids. All right, I made my point. So, looking at the commentaries this week, um, I was reading, and they all say the same thing, children are a blessing, and we all know that, and every single commentator says the same thing, and we all, yeah, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But something I think that is lost on the commentators is most of them are written by old people who, who've lost their childlike nature. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to find out from our kids I wanted them to commentate on these scriptures. And so I texted some of the families this week, and I just said, hey, I want to ask you three questions. I'm going to throw it out to you. Can you ask your kids these and give me the responses, all right? So I'm going to share these with you this morning. The first question I asked was, why did the children like being with Jesus? And this is what some of the kids says. The first one was, Jesus was fun. Duh. You know, one of our values here at Southlands is fun. We say very often, not an often, often enough, we need to like, especially after a year like this, we need to have some more fun. But we say that we take, our, we take Jesus seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. And I imagine one of the reasons why the kids wanted to go up to Jesus is because he was fun. He probably wasn't this grumpy, sour, serious, sophisticated Kind of person. I imagine him doing, pulling pranks on the disciples all the time. I mean, he talks about, hey, your heavenly father's not going to give you a scorpion if you ask for an egg. Maybe he like tricked one of the disciples one time. You know, James was like, can I have an egg? And he's like, sure. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe that's reading too much into it. But I imagine Jesus was fine. Some of the kids said, Jesus wasn't grumpy. He was the best pastor. I remember when I went to school, I, I grew up in this school called Christian Chapel, 
And Christian Chapel was a private school. We believed in Jesus. It taught us about Jesus. And there was this one um, teacher. He was kind of, I, I don't even really know what he was. he was. We called him Pastor Dave. And I remember Pastor Dave as a kid being the funnest, coolest, I, I don't know, like some of the adults might not have seen, but as a kid, I was just, he would come into the classroom and he would go, Pastor Dave! And he would come and he'd throw candy out in the room. You know, he was the proverbial, like, grandpa who could just spoil the kids and then let the teacher walk or deal with it, right? But he was so fun. Jesus was the best pastor. He, was the, he wasn't grumpy. Some of this might be blowing your mind right now because the way you think about Jesus is he was just sucking lemons all day. He didn't do it. Kids said, the kids, the children felt safe with Jesus. Man, it's so rare in a world that's so broken now. Like, like even, you know, I, I even felt a little hesitation saying men serving the kids because statistically that doesn't always work out well. Because sometimes the kids aren't safe statistically around males. But Jesus there was no, zero of that. He was pure. He loved, and the, and the children knew that. And they knew that they could sit on his lap without there being any inappropriate nature happening, that he was just blessing them. He was safe. They knew they, this is one of my favorite answers. And it's so theologically rich. Why did the children like being with Jesus? They knew they didn't have to do anything good and in order for Jesus to love them. That is beautiful. They knew that they could just go up to Jesus. He was going to be the same person, no matter if they were perfect or not. He was going to love them no matter what. Isn't that beautiful? Second, second question I asked, we're running out of time. Oh my gosh, we're not even through first point. Why didn't the disciples want children around Jesus? Now, this is easy for us to answer because we probably have this in our heart. I do. They thought the kids would annoy Jesus. Oh, those kids are going to be annoying, snot dripping down. They got frogs in their pockets, lizards in their pockets. They're dirty. They're going to talk. They're going to say things that are inappropriate. They thought Jesus didn't have time for kids. Man, these guys have been with Jesus for almost three years. He's on his way to Jerusalem to lay his life down on the cross, and they've spent a lot of time with Jesus, and they think for some reason Jesus doesn't have time for these kids. You'll see over and over in the, in the Gospels, Jesus loves the kids. Watch The Chosen. That'll help you understand. Um, they thought Jesus was just too tired. And then... I love this answer. This is what my son's answer. I asked Judah. And he goes, I don't know. And I thought, I was a little like, Judah, come up with a reason. And he goes, I don't know. And I was like thinking, that's actually profound. <laughs> Why in the world would the disciples not want the kids to come to Jesus? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Last question I asked them was, why did Jesus touch the children? He said, because he loved them and he cared about them. He loved them. Super simple, super theologically rich. Why did Jesus want to touch the kids? Because he loved them and he cared about them. See, these parents were bringing these kids up to Jesus and saying, will you bless my child? Because they knew that Jesus was this holy teacher. He was a, a rabbi, at least. At least they knew that. And they saw him doing signs and wonders and miracles. And everywhere that Jesus went, something amazing was happening. Wouldn't you want your kids to be blessed by this holy man? Wouldn't you want your kids to experience something of an exchange of who this person is to be poured out into your children? Yes, yes, yes. And Jesus lays his hands. I'm imagining Jesus gathering all these little kids as much as he could, putting them on their lap. Kids are like, ah, you know, looking over their friends' shoulders. All this Parents are waiting in line, bouncing their babies on their shoulders. They're crying, all of these things. So much better than a mall Santa Claus. Because the exchange that is happening here 
Yes, God touching his children. Beautiful. So, we got to understand, children are a blessing. Because Jesus knew and knows that children are a blessing. The second thing we got to understand is that you have to receive the kingdom like a child. You must receive the kingdom of God like a child. Here's the problem. As we get older, most of us don't want to be childish anymore, right? We want to be sophisticated. We want to be well-to-do. We want to know stuff. We want other people to think that we know stuff. Uh, the Bible even says that Paul, as he grew, he let go of childish ways, right? I stopped doing childish things. And so we think that as we become older, that we're supposed to be less and less like a child. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, yes, stop being childish, i.e. immature, selfish, only thinking of yourself. But don't stop being childlike. See, yes, we're, and I think we get these mixed up, especially the longer that we've been Christians. We, we read more scripture, we read things like commentaries, we listen to podcasts, we go to church, and we listen to the pastor, and we read them, you know, all these kind of things, and we should do all those things. But if there's something in us that loses our childlike nature in order to stop being childish, we've completely lost the plot of what it means to follow Jesus. And so when Jesus says, hey, disciples, hey, Pharisees, hey, moms and dads, all of you who are sitting around, look at these little kids. This is what you're supposed to be like if you want to enter the kingdom of God. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be sophisticated. You don't have to smell and look and act a certain way. You just got to be childlike. That's it. You guys all right? I, one of my favorite movies is this movie called Hook with Robin Williams. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's an old movie, so spoiler alert, okay? Robin Will it's old, so don't get mad at me, all right? Robin Williams is Peter Pan, and he's now left Neverland, and he's become this banker, I think, something like that in the movie where he deals with money, and he's always on his cell phone, and he's always like doing deals and blah, 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 and because he has put away his childish ways, he has tried to become more sophisticated and grown up, and because of his grown up nature, he is completely forgotten that he grew up in Neverland, that he was Peter Pan. And through a crazy amount of hijinks, hilarity ensues, all of these things happen, he finds himself back in Neverland, but completely out of sorts. And all the kids are saying, you're Peter Pan. He's like, you're out of your mind. There's no such thing as Peter Pan. And then there's one pivotal moment in the movie where the Lost Boys and Peter Pan are interacting, and Peter Pan, all of a sudden, Robin Williams, it dawns on him. He's Peter Pan. And this little boy grabs his face, and the old, grown-up Robin Williams' face, he pushes back his wrinkles, and he looks at him, and he goes, Oh, there you are, Peter Pan. I, I cry every time I watch that part of the movie. <laughs> I want to say to some of you adults this morning, oh, there you are. There you are, James. There you are, Becky. There you are, Isaiah. There you are, Marianne. There you are, Roseanne. See, Jesus doesn't look at us and go, well, now that you're 40. I'm not looking at my wife. Now... <laughs> Now that you're a certain age, I can tell you about what it really means to follow me. See, before you were a certain age, you were stupid. But now that you've outgrown your stupidity, we can get to the serious things of the kingdom of God. 
I want to say to you guys this morning, like, let Jesus come to you and push back the sophisticatedness of who you think you are. Let him see your heart. I'll admit it. I lost, I, I, we were just sitting in a, in a meeting the other day where one of the seniors in my life has been a mentor from afar. And he was teaching in a session. And they just asked him, they said, Tom, Tom Tapping actually was here a couple years ago. And they said, Tom, will you just, instead of doing like a sermon, will you just share some stories that God has done? And he goes over and over and over and over again about all these amazing things that God has done in his life. Not because he was so good and not because he deserved it. He'll admit it. He said those things. He just said God repeatedly would show his kindness to him. And it would be like things like where he had a car that was donated to him and it would only go in reverse. And he said he drove this car for two weeks in reverse getting to the store. And someone said, your car only goes in reverse? Yeah. Well, here's a new car. And then there would be times, he said, where he'd be sitting with his family and they literally had nothing to eat and someone would knock on their door with three or four bags full of groceries and say, God just laid on my heart to come and give you guys food. There'd be time and time again where his wife, they, they have moved from South Africa to Australia to L.A., to North Carolina, where they now live, and they were moving from home to home and home, all because of the obedience of God. And his wife said, Lord, I would just love for the next time that we find a house to have, like, French provisional kind of furniture. I know it's really expensive, but that's just, you know, whatever. They find someone who lives in the church and says, we have a house that we're selling. We're selling with all the furniture, but please go through and look at any of the furniture. Take anything you want. Lo and behold, guess what kind of furniture it was? French provisional furniture. And I remember hearing these stories and talking with a friend. I go, that's really cool, but God doesn't do that with me. I actually don't need that. I actually, when I think of God, I think of Jesus saying, Kelly, suck it up. Kelly, life is hard. Kelly, no one's promised you anything in this world. You have to like be strong and if I never bless you for the rest of your life, the cross was enough. And we all say yes and amen to those things, but I think, friends, there's something of, oh, there you are, Peter, inside of us that needs to know that Jesus is good. Jesus is our Father. Jesus, even as Jess said this morning, is like a mom, a motherly God in the sense, I know, don't theologically freak out here, but he wants to put us under his wings, as Psalm 91 says, and gather us like a mother hand and protect us from the storm and keep us safe and give us good things, even though we don't deserve them. And so when Jesus tells the people, hey, what good father would, would ever, if their son or daughter comes to him and says, daddy, can I have an egg, would give them a scorpion? No, he's not going to do that. He's not like some mean God. He's going to give them what they need. It's in my heart too. It's in my heart. I have to fight every day to know that Jesus loves me sometimes. So, last thing I want to end with here is, if we have to enter the kingdom of God like a child, then let's ask the question, what does it mean to be like a child to enter the kingdom of God? How do children receive the kingdom of God? First one is, you need to understand children are helpless and completely dependent. How's that for a modern day sermon? Most preachers will get up and tell you, you got to kick butt, Take, no name, take names. You gotta fight for yourself and lean in to your potential. You gotta put people around you who are going to encourage your potential. You gotta push away people who will bring you down. You gotta soar like an eagle. You gotta be competent for the kingdom of God. 
Because the kingdom of God suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. And Jesus says, hey, you want to enter the kingdom of God? You've got to be like a little child. By the way, children are completely helpless and completely dependent upon their parents. See, some of us in this room want to push that away so far from us because we don't want to look incompetent. We don't want to look like we need anything because the pride in our hearts wants to say, we are self-sufficient. I am my own captain, Invictus. Yes, I need God at moments, but 90% of the time, I rely on my own strength because I, after all, I'm an adult now. And Jesus says, if you want to be in the kingdom of God, you have to enter it like a child. Children are completely dependent and helpless. You know, Billy Graham, who has now gone to be with Jesus, you know, Billy right now is sitting with Jesus face to face. I don't know what they're talking about. Probably some fun stuff. You know that Billy Graham did not enter heaven because he was so sophisticated and competent? The same man who led, I, I'm sure there's an exaggeration and then there's numbers. I don't know what the numbers are. But let's say even like uh, conservatively, Thousands upon thousands of people to Jesus. You know why he's sitting in heaven? It's because he was completely helpless and completely dependent on God. Because Billy said, I need to be like a child. And when we say helpless, that's what we mean, helpless. You might be going, I'm not sure you think that word means what you think it means. No, that's what it means, helpless. We are not able to help ourselves. That's what this whole Christian faith is about. See, if you could save yourself, we wouldn't need Jesus. If you somehow could earn enough brownie points in heaven, you wouldn't need Jesus to come and die on the cross for your sins. The reason Jesus says, unless you're like one of these kids, is because we are completely, 100% helpless to save ourselves. We forget it because we become sophisticated. And the wrinkles crowd our judgment of what it means to be like a child. This is what this old hymn, Rock of Ages, says. It says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly, Wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of Ages. Isn't that a beautiful hymn? Our dependence on Jesus. So, not only are, Jesus, not only are children helpless and dependents, and Jesus says if you want to enter it, you must be like a child, but also children just ask their parents. Anybody have kids in this room? Anybody remember what it's like to have kids in this room? All right? Anybody have a kid, your child, just come up and ask you for something that is completely unreasonable? Yes, that should be all of us raising our hand. If you're a teacher, if you've ever been around a child for five seconds, this is what happens. Hey, can I have a Ferrari? You know, children, just ask. Stop, stop asking. Stop, stop asking. Some of you are like confused. I'm saying keep asking. Jesus wants you to ask him. Jesus wants you to be dependent on him. Jesus wants you to have this crazy naivete to be able to just go up to him and say, Jesus, my side hurts right now. Can I ask you to heal me? Jesus, I'm really scared about this situation at work. Can you give me some courage? Hey, Jesus, you know, there's this relationship that I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do in and I need some help and wisdom. Can you help me in this situation? Hey, Jesus, my finances right now are like really scary. Can you, can you do something here? Can you help me? Can you like maybe somebody bring some groceries to my door? And we don't ask these things. Why? Because we think Jesus doesn't care. 
We think like the disciples. <laughs> Get away, kids. You're bothering Jesus. Can't you see he has more important things to do than to deal with your stupid, little, incessant, little, minuscule kind of things of life? He's got politics to deal with. He's got you know, nations that are out of control to deal with. He doesn't care about your toe that hurts. Jesus, you know how many, how many hairs you got on your head? You have no idea. Guess who knows? Jesus knows. Jesus knows every single thing about you. He wants you to ask him. And you know what? Sometimes the answer might be, nope. And you go, okay. And sometimes the answer will be, yes! And you go, yes! And sometimes Jesus will be like, just wait. And you go, okay. He wants you to ask. Kids ask. The worst that Jesus could say is no. The worst your parent could say is, Dad, can we have candy for dinner? Nope. In asking, you get to know who Jesus is, too. All right. Let's move it on because we are running out of time. <sighs> Children, what do they do? How should we be entering the kingdom of God? Children receive instruction and correction. Lest you hear this morning or hearing that I am telling you that Jesus doesn't care about the way you live your life, that he only wants to be like this prosperity God that is just going to give you all the things and Christianity is like Tootsie Pops from heaven. All you need to do is become a Christian and then for the rest of your life, life's going to be easy. <clears throat> Survey says no. See, children are dependent on their parents. They ask their parents. And in this dependence, children are subject to their parents. And that means that we receive correction and discipline from our God in heaven, from our heavenly Father. And if you are saying, I'm a child of God, but you're rejecting the leading, the discipline, the correcting of God in your life, you are an illegitimate child. You're, you're trying to be like the kid who wants to eat at home and receive an allowance but not do anything. I would say, friends, if you find yourself in that situation, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, blah, 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 but, you know, that stuff's kind of for the hardcore Christians. Like, obeying God in all things, that is, that's kind of crazy. I obey God in most things. You're a deformed Christian. A fully formed Christian, a fully formed child of God says, God, you're my father. Because you're my father, you know what's good for me. And I will trust you in whatever you say. And I will subject my will and my ways to your will and to your ways. Even when it's hard. Little kid comes up to the parent, Dad, can I have candy for dinner? No. <clears throat> Why do we get grumpy? Because we think for some reason God's a killjoy and he wants to just like make things hard for us because he, you know, like a boy named Sue, like we think somehow we, he's going to give us this name like Kelly, oh God, and like, you know, you have a girl's name, I know, and then I'm going to get tougher because of that. That's not what God's doing. He, sometimes he's saying no because he wants to build character in us, yes, and he wants to protect us. He wants to keep us safe. Why does he want to keep us safe? Because he loves us. God loves you more than you love your kids. God loves you more than the thing that you love the most, more. God wants to protect you more than the thing you hold precious and dear, more. He loves you. He loves you, friends. He loves you. God loves you. No matter if you are, you've gone and just forgotten about God, no matter if you've walked away for years and you've, there's been something in your heart like, yeah, I've had some of an understanding of who God is, God still loves you. The fact that you're here this morning hearing that God loves you 
is the fact that God loves you. Two more and then we're done. I know I've gone over time. You guys all right? All right. Not only are children completely dependent and they just ask and they receive instruction and correction, children carry the family name. My kids, we have our email address, our family email address. Oh, shoot. Am I going to give this out right now? I'll give it up. It has something to do with Monaghan clan, okay? I'm just going to leave it there. It's Monaghan clan because we're the Monaghan clan. We're the clan of the Monaghans. We have this family name, and that was passed down to me from my dad, from his dad, from his dad before him. And there's something that is intrinsically true about the Monaghans. What's true about the Monaghans? We're awesome, right? <laughs> the Monaghans don't whine. They don't complain. Why? Because whiners get nothing. The Monaghans are able to, like, Say that Jesus loves us no matter if times are good or bad. The Monahans, all of these things. And some, there's some bad traits about the Monahans, right? But we are the Monahans. And here's the beautiful thing, that when we are children of God, we now carry the name of our Heavenly Father. We've been adopted as sons and daughters into a kingdom that is imperishable, to a kingdom that is perfect, to a kingdom that has drawn people from darkness into light, from a kingdom now that made us, once we were all kind of living on our own, doing our own thing, into a kingdom now that lives for the benefit of each other. And now we're called sisters and brothers, and we carry the family name of not Monaghan, of not Blankenship, of not Gunther, Gunther, whatever, still all stuck and we carry the family name of Jesus and we're all in this together so some of us here this morning have ought with one another some of us here this morning are, are like man I'm not sitting too close to so-and-so I'll, I'll wave I'll like like their Instagram but that's about as close as I'm going to get what a bunch of hogwash guys we are brothers and sisters, we are on the same team. Hello. God's calling. All right, last one. Children just trust and they're unjaded. This is a big one, guys. Children trust children are unjaded. You remember when your kids were a certain age and you could tell them something and they would just believe you? Remember those good old days? My kids are at an age where I'm like, you don't know anything. You're dumb. You're old. Trust me, your sweetest little one right now, just Hold on to that. See, kids just believe whatever their parents tell them. Remember when you're on the playground and my dad's got a billion dollars. No, my dad's got $10 billion. My dad could beat up your dad. Because you believed your parents were the best thing in the world. Kids just intrinsically think that about their parents. And to be like a child into the kingdom of God, we just trust that Jesus says, the things he says or what he says are true. What God says about who he is are true. That he's loving and he's strong. That he's omnipresent, he's omniscient. That he's merciful and he's just. And that he sees you. And when he says something like, I know the number of hairs on your head, he's not trying to make this like, exaggerated illustration so you'll emotionally respond to him so he'll be able to manipulate you into trusting him no when he says i know the amount of hairs follicles little on your head that means i know the follicles the little on your head every single one not one little hair if you have any hair that falls out and hits the ground that god is unaware of 
You know what's even less valuable than you? Little birds. Little birds. And Bible says that God knows every single little bird, and he knows when it falls to the ground and dies. How much more does your heavenly Father love you? And guess what? You can trust God. God's not trying to like bait and switch you. He'll tell you up front to follow me. Remember this a couple weeks ago? It's hardcore. You got to lay it all on the line. But if you follow me, I'm going to take care of you. I got you. And we've lost this trust. We've said, I've been burned before because the church, a leader did this. Somebody, yeah, I get it. Those things happen. But that's not who God is. We're just infallible human beings. Or fallible. Imperfect. God's perfect. And he loves you. And when he says he loves you, he loves you. Let me end with this little thing from this book called Gentle and Lowly by a guy named Dean Ortland. This book talks about just the character of who Jesus is. Very often you and I will not trust Jesus when he says, hey, come on, follow me, I got you. We're like, eh, yeah, I don't know about that. And there's a lot of reasons why we do this. And this is his way of helping us understand the heart of Jesus towards us. He says, we tend to deflect Christ's assurances. And he does this back and forth between what we say and what Jesus says. And we start off by saying, no, wait. We say cautiously approaching Jesus, you don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, Jesus replies. Well, you know most of it, sure. Certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside me, hidden from everyone. I know it all, Jesus says. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free from this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help, Jesus says. The burden is heavy, and heavier all the time. Jesus says, then let me carry it. It's, it's too much for me to bear. Not for me, Jesus says. You don't get it. My offenses are directed toward others, not toward just others. They're directed against you. Then I'm the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Isn't that beautiful? Will you stand with me this morning?